today's scripture passage, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, 1 to 16, and then uh, we'll pray and we'll get started and see what the Lord has to say to us today. Hear the word of the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no, nor, ear has, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, um, let's bow our heads in a moment and ask, um, ask the Spirit's presence today. Uh, Holy Spirit, your word uh, is uh, the very breath of God. And you help us to understand a God who is so incomprehensible uh, because you uh, know the thoughts of God and you reveal that to us. And uh, as we look at your word today, we ask God that you would reveal to us um, who you are. That you would help us to understand not simply from the perspective of head knowledge, uh, but the kind of deep knowledge we all have when we know a person. And we want that knowledge and we want to uh, encounter the true and the living God. So come and speak to us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, as I said, we are in a series on the Holy Spirit. If you're visiting us for the first time or if uh, you haven't been here for a while, um, we, we want, you know, we worship a triune God. And I think it's, a, it's easier to understand how we're supposed to relate to the person of the Father and even how we relate to the person of the Son uh, but I think for some of us, maybe it's a little bit of a challenge to relate to the third person of the Trinity, the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I, was, I was serving uh, my, my parents' church as a youth group teacher. Um, but at the time, there was, I think there was no youth pastor. So e effectively, I was uh, leading this youth group. And one of the things that we would do in the summers is uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, used to have this program where you would uh, do an outreach to New York City, right? So even before I was uh, doing ministry in New York City, I was kind of in <laughs> New York City. And, uh, you know, it's a bunch of, like, middle school and high school kids, and we would go to Long Island, I think Smithtown, and then we would train for uh, a few days, and then we would come to New York and go to the various boroughs and, and do an outreach. And one of the things that we did to prepare for an outreach is we prepared this skit 
that went uh, according to the song of Mission Impossible. And it was kind of a way to present the grand narrative of the Bible from creation to uh, redemption. And uh, you had all these, like, all the students had to fill a role and play a character. So you had one person who's playing the role of the Father. Uh, they're in creation, sending out Jesus, one person playing the role of Jesus, going, dying upon a cross, being resurrected. You had characters who were angels. You had uh, characters who were uh, Satan. Uh, and so you had all these characters. But you know the one character that was missing and not represented in that skit was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, uh, they mentioned that, and they said, well, we're just assuming the Holy Spirit is, uh, is present uh, and, and things like that. But I, I think it, it means... Uh, I. I I understand why there was no person of the Holy Spirit in the sense of, I think it's hard to kind of understand who the Holy Spirit is. Um, it, it's a little bit of a mystery maybe to, to some of us. Uh, it's a little bit of, um, you know, you kind of understand Father, you kind of understand Jesus because he was incarnated, uh, but Holy Spirit, uh, who is that and how are we supposed to relate to him? And, uh, you know, it starts at a very young age. I, uh, as I said, I was, I've been reading these books by uh, this guy named Gordon Fee, and he tells a story about how uh, he was teaching a Sunday school, or he was watching, a, um, teaching a, a bunch of six-year-olds and um, trying to teach about the person of the Holy Spirit, and as an illustration, the teacher uh, got a piece of paper and blew on the piece of paper, right, and said, the Holy Spirit is a little bit like that, invisible, but you see his effects or what he does uh, in the world. And the, and the child responds, the six-year-old child responds, uh, well, I want then the wind to be uninvisible, right? I want to be able to see him. And I think that reflects maybe this deep uh, desire in our hearts of, I want to have assurance that what is coming from the Holy Spirit is actually from God, that it is from the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's one of the things that we struggle with, that we say, well, this happened, is it coincidence or is it from God? Uh, I feel this. I, fe I think this is something that God may be telling me, but uh, I'm not sure. And because we lack this assurance, maybe there's a little bit of fear in terms of giving credit to uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, I think on the one hand, uh, there is some assurance because the Word of God and the Spirit of God always go together. Uh, what the Spirit does and what the Spirit says cannot contradict the Word. You even saw it in that passage that Mike read from Ezekiel 37, right? You saw that the Spirit of God uh, was breathed into these dry bones, but it was also the Word of God proclaimed and prophesied over these dry bones. All throughout Scripture, the Word of God and the Spirit go together. So if uh, you feel like something is coming from the Spirit, it should always be tested by the truth of God's Word, right? So there's a little bit of assurance there. But uh, I, I would say on the other hand, having a lack of uh, that assurance for some of us, maybe it creates a little bit of fear, and that fear ends up quenching the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the images in the Bible uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I was actually going to preach on this last week, but last minute <laughs> I changed the passage to, uh, to the passage in Luke. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, one of the things that Paul tells Timothy, he says this, he says, Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And then he tells uh, the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 5, and again, the imagery of fire is there, and he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. 
Fire, if you think about it, I think it's a very apt uh, picture or illustration for the Holy Spirit because on the one hand, fire can be a little bit scary. We might look at fire as being a little bit dangerous, especially when we don't feel as though we are in control of that fire, right? Have you ever lit a campfire? Uh, one of the things that a fire needs in order to kind of thrive is it needs air. It needs oxygen. So you, you kind of put the wood, you light it on fire, and you have to start like blowing into the fire. Uh, but sometimes if you're outdoors, maybe you have this mighty gust of wind and it just kind of blows onto this campfire and all of a sudden the fire <laughs> seems like it just go, like goes and it gets a little bit out of control. And because you're afraid of what the fire can do, maybe you get that bucket of water and you just you put the fire out, right? Uh, maybe in terms of how we think about the Holy Spirit, uh, maybe it's a little bit like that. You know, we, we like the Holy Spirit when we feel like we're, right, we're in control of him, right? <laughs> Uh, but then uh, when it feels like the Holy Spirit is uh, you know, getting out of our control, then maybe we get a little bit scared and we, we want to quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, what I want to encourage us to do as a congregation, and I'm going to imagine uh, maybe some of you come from a tradition where the Holy Spirit is very relatable and, and you're very familiar with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to imagine many of us maybe do not. And therefore, uh, when... Uh, there's a little bit of fear in us in terms of embracing the person of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. But Paul encourages Timothy, he says, fan it into flame, right? Fan into flame the gift of God. And if Paul told Timothy that, and if Paul tells the Thessalonians, do not quench the Holy Spirit, I imagine those, that same uh, exhortation applies to us as well. Uh, in the Bible, Right, fire is a powerful thing. In the Bible, the spirit is oftentimes associated with power. Just do a word search on, uh, you know, on the internet and do spirit and power, and you'll see how many times those two <laughs> words come together. Let me give you a few examples of this. Uh, for example, the, to the, prof the prophet of Micah says this, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. In Luke chapter 1, uh, the angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. When Jesus himself even begins his ministry in Luke chapter 4, it says this, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And when Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, do you know what he says? He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Paul for sure connects spirit with power. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he writes this, Our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So the one thing that I think we can say is clear is where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's power too. And we should experience and we should see that power. And what does that power look like? Well, of course, there's a variety of ways that the Spirit demonstrates his power uh, in the Old Testament, right? From Psalm 46, some people think that's connected to the story of King Hezekiah, the story of King Hezekiah. He's a small army. He's outnumbered by this huge army and God destroys this big army. Uh, Power can be demonstrated in that way, the defeat of an entire army. Power can look like what we see in the New Testament in uh, miraculous healings and exorcisms and through the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. Power can be the, the conversion of a person or a multitude of people. 
power could look like the demonstration of love and hospi hospitality and a, and a radical transformation of heart. Power can look like the filling of uh, joy and peace in one's heart. Power can look like uh, sacrificial generosity. There are a variety of ways that the Spirit of God works power in us. And when we experience that power in our lives, it is a testimony, I think, to the work of the Holy Spirit. But perhaps maybe our struggle is this. If that is what we are supposed to experience, I don't experience it. Why don't I experience it? If uh, I read all these things in the Bible and Scripture, and God, is, God does these things in power, why am I having such a hard time in life, right? I imagine that's many of our struggles. Well, there's a lot of reasons. It could be due to a lack of prayer. It could be due to maybe unrepentant sin. It could be the prevalence of fear. Uh, it could be maybe it's just not God's time. But here's what I want to do today. I want to look at this passage, and I want to focus on one way by which we can come to experience the power of God. Okay. Now, Corinth, this is a letter to the Corinthians. Corinth was like an ancient version of Manhattan in this sense. Uh, it was a very important trade city. Uh, a lot of uh, money was flowing through. It had affluent people. It had educated people. It had highly skilled uh, philosophers or orders in this uh, regard, and people were drawn to these highly skilled orders called sophists, and they were kind of like these itinerant philosophers, and they would travel from city to city, and they would present their own system of philosophy uh, through debate and through arguing and through skilled rhetoric. And Corinth, the people of Corinth, they loved this uh, because they were, right, they were intellectual people. They wanted to be intellectual people. And as a result, uh, after they present their system of philosophy, I guess depending on how well they did, people might choose to pay them and they would live according to uh, their, their teachings as people paid them. That's the context of in which Paul came to Corinth and did his ministry. And one would think that if you want to do ministry in Corinth, if you want to convince these people that Jesus is the Christ, that he rose from the dead, you might say, well, here's what I have to do. I got to beat those philosophers. I got to beat those sophists. I got to show them that my knowledge and my wisdom is superior to theirs. You would expect that, right? But Paul's testimony is the exact opposite. You would expect him to say, I came with lofty speech and great human wisdom. He just came from Athens, right? So he could say, I learned this, all this great stuff in Athens as I was debating and reasoning with the people of Athens. But he didn't go to Corinth, and he doesn't say that. He says, um, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You would expect him to say something like this. Um, I was with you in so much strength, and you didn't even see my weakness. He doesn't say that. He says, I came to you in weakness, in weakness, in fear, much trembling. And then verse 4, we get this summary statement that tells us why Paul came to Corinth the way he did. He said, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see what he is saying here? Paul came in weakness so that it would be a demonstration of the spirit and of power power. And I think that is one of the ways in which we experience the power of God when we begin to embrace our weakness. 
Now, here's the thing. In the economy of the kingdom, God doesn't take away our weaknesses. Uh, he doesn't say, well, you're weak in this area. Let me make you strong in this area. He doesn't necessarily always do that. But what he does is he uses our weakness in order to show his power. That's really how it works. And until you embrace weakness to the point where you come to rely upon the spirit of God, then I don't think we will experience the power of God in the way that we ought to experience it. You know, last week I said, you know, we had the uh, infant baptism. So I was, I was talking a little bit about children. And I said in God's view, there are certain categories of people who are usually overlooked in a society, but uh, these categories of people are considered great in the kingdom of God. Uh, it would be like, the, it would be children. It would be the poor. It would be what the Bible would call the least of these. And in God's economy of the kingdom, they exhibit greatness in the kingdom of God. Why? Because these are typically the kinds of people who would be considered weak in this world. But God demonstrates power in weakness. You know, in more than any other letter that Paul has written, uh, the letters that he writes to the Corinthian church talk the most about his weaknesses. And I think that's really intentional because if uh, these people are anything like New Yorkers, then weakness is not something that they would embrace. They respect what? Skill? They respect status? They respect influence? They respect people who are generally respectable people. They don't want somebody like Paul, Paul who is preaching nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul who doesn't come with this uh, skillful rhetoric. Paul who is, by the way, not somebody who accepted or received money for what he preached and he did that intentionally. And as a result of doing that, he probably would have been seen as inferior to these sophists. Paul, someone who wasn't married. Paul, someone who worked as a tent maker. Paul, someone who experienced a great deal of hardship and suffering in his life. That's not the typical kind of person that these Corinthians would get behind and follow. But that's exactly how Paul came in weakness. Again, why? Because that is the means through which they would uh, experience the spirit and the power of God. Uh, you know, I was talking to a few guys on Friday. Um, you know, we we're having a little bit of hangout in Brooklyn, and um, you know, we, just, we just talked. We talked about a whole bunch of things, but you know, one of the things we talked about was like kind of American Christianity. And I, I think in American Christianity, one of the problems with uh, American Christianity is uh, a lot of us we've adopted a culture of celebrity. And what I mean by that is this, we, even in the church, right, we tend to follow, gravitate towards people who are skilled, who are influential, who are well-known, authors of books, those kinds of things. Uh, I had a professor in seminary, and uh, he would always say, you know, when I ask seminary students as they come into my class, you know, who are some of the most influential preachers to you? He's like, they all name the same people, right? They name like Tim Keller. They name people like John Piper. And he was struck that nobody in the class ever mentions their own pastor <laughs> as being one of the most influential preachers to them. <laughs> and uh, he says, that's a problem, right? He goes, I think that's a problem because these seminarians are coming in thinking, you know, preaching the word of God is like rocket science. And what it requires is like the, uh, the Tim Kellers of the world and the John Pipers of the world in order to preach the gospel. Uh, but he's like, Preaching the gospel is not rocket science, right? Ordinary people preach the gospel, and it is ultimately, at the end of the day, God himself, the spirit of God, who makes his word alive in our hearts. But in America, there is this culture of celebrity. And actually, in Corinth, too, there is this culture of celebrity. If you read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a cult of personality where people are saying, 
I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow uh, Peter or Cephas, uh, I follow Christ. And uh, what that ends up doing is then power, then uh, the demonstration of uh, the power of the gospel becomes dependent upon a person or the wisdom of man rather than upon the spirit and the power of God. And if that's the case, what happens? People build their faith on this person or this personality and uh, rather than building their faith on the person of Jesus Christ. The reason why I say that's a problem in today's culture is because you see all these like, famous pastors like falling away, <laughs> scandal, and how, uh, how deeply it affects people's faith. Uh, it, should that happen to me? Uh, hopefully it shouldn't happen to me. Uh, I would hope that your faith is not contingent upon um, right, who I am, but you have your own experience with the Spirit of God and you f- have your own convictions of the power of God and your faith is built upon God himself. You see, that's why we, we need the gospel to be reliant not upon the wisdom of man, not upon uh, great skill, but upon the spirit and his power. And you know, in order to do that, we have to embrace weakness, I think. After all, isn't the gospel message itself ultimately a message of weakness? In the previous chapter, Paul talks about how the word of the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. This is, this is a message, right? What Jesus Christ did upon the cross in order to achieve victory over sin and death, in order to establish his kingdom here on earth, in order to give hope to the nations, the way that God did it doesn't make sense according to the wisdom of man. He did it through a crucified Christ. He did it by becoming weak in the person of Jesus Christ submitting to the powers of death, experiencing loss, experiencing shame. That is how God redeems the world. And isn't that itself a message of weakness? How does God build his church? It's not through branding, friends, right? (laughs) It's not through social media, right? You know how God built his church and made this church a new temple, uh, making known the manifold wisdom of God? through these uneducated uh, tax collectors and fishermen. Uh, That's how God built his church. You see, that's the pattern of God. He doesn't work in spite of our weakness. He actually works through it. And through our weakness, the power of God is made manifest in our lives. And that's why it's something we have to embrace. Uh, As I mentioned before, a couple of us went to this training called uh, Alpha, and uh, we want to introduce it to the church at some point. And one of the things that drew me to this actually was uh, it really requires uh, the Holy Spirit to come and to show up or it really won't work. Uh, it's not dependent upon like one great speaker. Uh, it's not dependent upon um, you know, one highly skilled person who is really gifted in communicating the gospel. Uh, it's, it's basically you just have to have a heart of hospitality and love and uh, want people to belong. And basically, you're just relying upon the Holy Spirit to work in people's um, hearts during that period of time. And, uh, you know, uh, ironically, when we went yesterday, the passage that they used was here from 1 Corinthians. Um, How often do we think that good ministry is contingent upon uh, our strengths, what we're able to do? 
How often do we want to hide what is wrong with us and what's bad? You know, remember uh, a few weeks ago, I, I preached a sermon. If you weren't here, you missed it, right? Because I said, please do not record it. So it's not recorded. If you weren't here, <laughs> it's gone forever. You missed it. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, I, I think why it felt uh, a little bit risky for me before I preached it and I didn't want it recorded is I, I made myself very vulnerable to the congregation. And um, I didn't know how you would respond to it. I actually think through that vulnerability and through that weakness, um, maybe God did something in showing uh, his power. And it, you know, it's, a, it's a paradoxical way to think, but you have to embrace weakness in order to experience the power of God. That's, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does. Even in 2 Corinthians, right? Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul gets personal. He talks about his personal thorn in the flesh, and we don't exactly know what that thorn in the flesh is, but what he says is, I pleaded with the Lord three times, and God didn't take away this thorn, and uh, instead, what he hears, he hears God say to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then he says this, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, how do we embrace weakness? Here's the good news. It's not that hard. You know why it's not that hard? Because we're weak people, Right? Uh, it takes more work to cover up our weakness than to embrace our weakness. In order to we embrace our weakness, I, I think we just got to chill out and just relax and be like, you know, we're <laughs> weak and, uh, and rest in that and then come to God and, and pray. Uh, it's kind of like that, um, that phrase, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a command uh, in the passive voice construction. And so we are called to active obedience, and that active obedience takes on a passive form and allows God to do the work to us and for us. Um, and uh, I thought of this illustration this week um, when I was spending some time with my young, youngest daughter. Now, uh, I'll be honest with you, this was, this was a rough week in parenting. You know why it's a rough week in parenting? Um, we're trying to teach our youngest daughter um, how to use the toilet, right? So we're potty training her. Now you say, well, you have, you know, this is your second child. Don't you know how to potty train a child? You know, my first child, she just, we didn't train her. She just went to the bathroom and uh, it was whoop, whoop, easy. I was like, oh, this parenting stuff is pretty easy. Second child, not so cooperative, right? So, uh, you know, we're trying to teach her and part of it's because of like preschool and stuff and they don't change her diaper. So we're like, all right, we got to teach her how to use a toilet. So we're like, uh, all right, let's, let's do it. Let's potty train her. Um, it is, it's been like so rough and she, you know, she whines and she has to pee and she like, she, you know, she does this with her legs because like she's just holding it in, right? So I take her to the toilet, I put her on the toilet and she's like, eh, it's not coming out, it's not coming out. But I know she is actively holding it in. I feel her stomach, her stomach's like really tight, it's full. It's like, I know you gotta go, right? Just let it go, let it go, just let it happen. I know, I know it wants to come out, you just gotta relax. She's like, no, it's not coming out. I'm scared, I'm scared, right? So then, and this is like dozens of times a day, like going back and forth to the toilet. Um, some, and then like um, yesterday, like literally, I was like, get on the toilet. She's like, no, right? We're like, get on the toilet. <laughs> She's like, no. So then I'm like, oh, okay, I give up. And then she pees like right in front of the toilet. I'm like, no, <laughs> just do that in the toilet. And then um, my wife was laughing because she's like, uh, are you finished yelling at me? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm not yelling at you. But I was like kind of yelling at her. It's the hardest thing in the world. Now, here's the thing. Um, I thought about the Holy Spirit in that moment, and here's why. 
Um, you know, the body is kind of created just to like, you know, dispel our waste, right? And you just kind of like relax and let it go. Maybe you push initially, but then after <laughs> you just like let it go. It takes so much more work to, to kind of hold it in, right? And to prevent it from, from coming out. And I, I think maybe sometimes that's, well, I'm not joking now, but I guess it's, um, maybe sometimes that's how we are with the Holy Spirit. We're living in so much anguish, right? Life is so tiring. Life is so hard, and we're actually using more of our strength and more of our energy to, to really suppress the things that God wants to do uh, to us and through us. You ever think about it that way? Maybe the only thing we, maybe what we really need, we, what we really need to do, we just kind of relax and let God live in us and do his work in us through surrender. Let him lead us. Let him guide us. Let him fill us. Let him demonstrate his power in us. Instead of kind of just like in anguish, right? Ah, I want to do it my way. I want to be in control. I want to let my fear, I'm too scared of what could potentially happen, of letting go. Um, perhaps that is some of us. Um, you know, I, I, let, me, let me speak honestly again for a moment, right? There's so many times I'm like, I don't know if our church is going to make it. Um, like the last couple of years, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't know if our, our church is going to make it. Um, you know, a bunch of people leave, a bunch of leaders leave. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if our church is going to make it. And uh, it's very, like, self-centered thinking. I'm like, I'm just not good enough. I need, I need to be a better preacher. I need to be a better pastor. Um, uh, I, I would say this to elders. Maybe, maybe someone else should be, should be leading this church. And um, I, I think that's the wrong way to think about it. Uh, and I, I've come to that conclusion uh, in this past year. And um, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about us or our strength. It's not about right, how big we are, how much we're growing. I, I think w what it comes down to, we have to embrace our weakness and know we can't do it. Because in that embracing of weakness, I think that's when we become dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Spirit demonstrates his power. And I think part of that is, you know, we're New Yorkers, a lot of type A personalities, a lot of people who like to set goals and agendas and say, what's my next step and what do I need to do? And I'm not poo-pooing all that, right? Sometimes that stuff is useful. But I think we just have to say, you know, God, you have to do the work. I just need to pray. Your spirit needs to come, and I'm going to depend upon him. That's where we need to be. So let's go there. Let's uh, maybe spend a little time in prayer and I'll invite the worship team to come and lead us in song. But I, wa I want you to think about for a moment um, think about your weakness. Think about the very, the very things that you want to hide. Think about the things you believe is what is a hindrance in your life or from you uh, a hindrance from you to achieve joy and happiness and security and peace. And maybe you look at your weakness as hindering you from uh, receiving those things, and therefore you try to cover it up, therefore you don't embrace it, therefore you try to lean upon your strengths. Um, but here's, here's my um, exhortation to you. Don't do that. Embrace weakness and say, God, I'm weak and I need you. Spirit, I need your power to work in me. I need you to demonstrate that power in my heart, in my life. And uh, let's just come before God in that way, just as weak people, um, as vulnerable people.
Um, and, you know, God creates, it, it's safe to do that with God because he's given us Christ, right? And uh, because we have Christ, we can, we can come to God like that. Say, I'm weak, I'm weak. Let's just pray for a little bit and then the worship team can lead us when you feel ready. <laughs>